Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Chris Hill, and I'm joined in studio by Motley Fool Senior Analyst Seth Jason. James Early and Ron Gross. Guys, good to see you. Good to see you, Chris. Chris. On today's show, we'll look at the winners and losers with Verizon's iPhone. We'll examine the latest earnings from Intel, J.P. Morgan Chase, and more. And we'll get a report from the big auto show in Detroit. All that, plus, as always, a look at the stocks on our radar. But we begin with the big macro. On Thursday, Fed Chief Ben Bernanke said in a speech to the FDIC that he expects the U.S. economy to grow 3 to 4% this year. And on Friday, the Labor Department reported the Consumer Price Index rose 0.5%. Ron Gross, let me start with you. Uh, the estimate for the CPI was 0.4%, so inflation's a bit higher. What did you make of the numbers? Well, Chris, those those predictions are so imprecise, I'm really not going to split hairs over a 0.1%. <laughs> it's worse Either than way, expected, man. Let, let's drill down on, on what actually happened. So 80% of the increase was due to an 8.5% rise in the gasoline index. And, and that shouldn't be a surprise because earlier in the week we saw, uh, when we got uh, wholesale price inflation numbers, we saw uh, a rise in energy prices there. And we also saw a tick up in food prices as well, which also shouldn't be a surprise because that's continuing a trend we've seen. Um, so for the, for the most part, unemployment seems relatively tame except for in these two important areas, which actually has an effect on the working class um, to a significant extent. Uh, so I don't want to belittle it, but uh, uh, for the most part, inflation remains under control. Seth? I would say that it's it's worse than, than under control. There's a lot of talk about inflation in this country by people who are trying to hide their, their general uh, fiscal hawkishness under the guise of like controlling inflation. But if you read through the CPI report today, the index for all items, once you get rid of food, which actually didn't go up that much uh, in the most recent period, but energy, which did, once you get rid of that, this is the smallest one-year increase in the history of the index. In other words, deflation is the thing we have to be worried about right now. And what else is interesting is that we had retail sales numbers that came out, and retail sales numbers are typically Oh, they reported about a thousand different times in a thousand different ways. But <laughs> you're talking about retail sales numbers right now are unadjusted for price, and they're saying, okay, this. Uh, let's see, let me get to this whole thing here. They're saying up 0.6 uh, percent uh, for uh, last from November to December. But once you dig into it, you see that again, a huge portion of that, uh, the lion's share of that increase, what looks like an increase in economic activity, is not actually an increase in ec economic activity, except that gasoline prices went up as we see from the CPI. So so these two numbers actually are, are intertwined and neither of them tells a good story about the American economy right now. So circling back around quick to what Seth said about deflation, that is the bigger concern than inflation. In Bernanke's speech that you mentioned where he said 3 to 4% growth for this year, he said the risk of deflation has receded. I'm not so sure yet. I'll go out on a limb. I'll say his 3 to 4% prediction is going to have to come down as the year progresses. I don't see the economy growing at that rate. James? Yeah, I don't smoke, but I'd like to start smoking what Ben Bernanke is smoking. It <laughs> seems to make everything appear larger. Um, you know, the, the issue is how do we get there? We've, we've taken out a lot of debt. And ironically, Moody's and S&P have just announced that they're threatening to remove the U.S.'s AAA rating if our debt keeps growing like this. Now, considering these are the same agencies that used to give subprime CDOs a AAA rating, you know, maybe that's really saying something. But... It is something to think about. Is we got there at a price, 
And, but it, it, right now, it's also the fashion to be down on every country that borrows. And, and unfortunately, the fact is that all of these economies rely on borrowing uh, entirely too much when times are good. But when times are bad, that's what you need. On Tuesday, the event that's been rumored for the past few years finally happened. Verizon announced the iPhone will be available on its network starting next month. Seth Jason, was the event everything you ever dreamed it would be? You know, I, I'm going to remember where I was forever on this day, just <laughs> like I did when those dorks at Apple said I would remember where I was when they got the Beatles into the iTunes <laughs> library. This is And you did remember, apparently. I, I have no idea. I don't so they were right. They were right. I, I, I only remember the bombast of the announcement and, and, and how Steve Jobs' ego seems to know no boundaries. But anyway, this is good news for people who are on Verizon who don't like their Google Android phones, and there may be 12 or 14 of them, I guess, because uh, Android phones have uh, overtaken uh, iPhones in market share, in, uh, according to recent reports. And so it will be very interesting to see. I own Verizon stock, by the way. So if this brings a bunch of people to Verizon, that's fine with me for two reasons. One, it will help uh, my Verizon stock, hopefully. And the other is that it will free up the AT&T network, uh, which I use and, and I find to be a good network. And we get rid of all these iPhone data hogs, and that'll help out. This will be good for Apple because they'll sell a lot more phones. But I really think the, the interesting thing to see uh, will be if uh, Android's success on Verizon has been just because Apple wasn't there or whether it can stand on its own. James Early? Yeah, obviously it's a, it's a big win for Apple. I would say it's probably priced into Verizon and AT&T to some degree. Remember, phone companies are fundamentally utilities, and these phones are actually lost leaders initially for these companies. They get you onto these contracts, but the it, question- Yeah, because they subsidize the price of the phone. An iPhone exactly. is a $600 yeah. phone uh, unless you buy it from the unless you buy it with a contract because then they pay some of the contract money to, to Apple. Who are the big losers here? I mean, if Verizon's going to be a winner, if Apple's going to be a winner, um, I mean, is is Google automatically the loser with the Android system? Uh, Potentially, I but only so, if yeah. they, they take away a lot of market share. I don't think they can. And remember, Google doesn't really make a lot of money. I mean, this, they kind of developed this operating system for free. It's a loss leader for them. They hope to make up money on, uh, on ad sales by people using their their services on the handsets for search. So uh, I don't know that they have a ton to lose. The Windows phone is the wild card. Windows phone's a wild card. All right, if I'm a, an investor, wh- what what shareholder do I want to be right now in the wake of the Verizon announcement? Is it, uh, do I want to own shares of Verizon, Apple, Microsoft? Is there a dark horse out there? Apple, because no matter what Apple, they do, yeah. the stock goes up. <laughs> <laughs> and not AT&T. Australia is dealing with the worst flooding in 50 years. It's displaced hundreds of thousands of people with dozens more either dead or missing. Uh, James Early, uh, obviously there's a human toll here, but this disaster has big economic consequences too. Yeah, certainly, Chris, and, and I will just be serious for a minute here. I mean, this is an area the size of France and Germany now underwater. More cyclones are on the way, I've heard, and, and, and the worst is yet to come as water washes down from the mountains. We're talking $9 billion in infrastructure costs and, and three-quarters of a percentage off Australia's six-month GDP figure. Uh, but the bigger uh, figure could actually be the, the commodity ripple effect because Australia is a big commodity uh, country, 11% of global wheat production, and the flooding has damaged at least half that crop. Uh, it's also crippled Australia 
Australia's transportation infrastructure. Coal prices are at a two-year high because of this. Australia is the number one coal exporter for coking coal, which is goes to make steel, and number two for thermal coal. And coal is Australia's number one export crop, behi- uh, export product, excuse me, behind UGG boots. Um, yeah. The silver <laughs> lining, though, is that the markets are pretty upbeat. Australia's dollar is, is now at a, a one-month low, which is not that bad, coming off of a 28-year high. And the Australian stock market is just humming along, so actually people are pretty optimistic. But 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 we might not want to be here in the U.S. too much because this we didn't talk about the food thing much in the CPI numbers, but there's already some evidence that food inflation is going to increase significantly over the next few months here in the U.S. Uh, there were some bad harvests all over the world, and this certainly isn't going to help. Ron? Yeah, I was going to say worldwide increases in food prices is really being a concern um, overseas, Argentina, Canada, Russia. Uh, have seen poor harvests. South America's dry weather has really hurt them. Um, and there's concerns of social unrest even in some of these areas as food uh, becomes unaffordable. Portugal could be the next country in the EU to get a bailout. On Tuesday, Portugal's prime minister insisted his country will not seek a bailout. And on Wednesday, the country sold 1.25 billion euros in bonds. Uh, Seth Jason, I'll just ask plainly, how likely is a bailout for Portugal? I think it's pretty likely. I, uh, Portugal is hovering near this magic 7% yield level that people have talked about as, as kind of b- having been the breaking point for, for Greece. And then Ireland, they, they're, they're selling these bonds. These seven-year bonds are yielding somewhere in the 6.5% range right now. So people are hoping, okay, they can they can limp along. I don't know if they will. I, this is the whole bond bonds seem like they should be simple, right? You you buy this thing and you get paid a, a flat percentage rate, but when you bring in currencies and default risk and everything, it gets very strange, especially the way these euro countries are interconnected. And the question I have is is why would anybody in their right mind buy solid triple A bonds from the likes of Germany or others? when you could buy these kind of crummy Portuguese bonds, which seem to me to have the implicit guarantee uh, that the euro area will, will backstop Portugal in case of fire. And so that's sort of the game of chicken that's being played right now. And of course, uh, one of the reasons that the euro area wouldn't want to, uh, would want to make people think that Portugal's not headed for a bailout is, is that then people would just kind of move on to Spain. Portugal also accounts for around 50% of the world's cork production, uh, most common use obviously being the stopper in wine bottles. Um, we've all got kids, so let's just go around the table. Ron, uh, how many corks are you going through in a given week? <laughs> oh, too many, Chris. Too James? many. I don't, I don't drink, Chris. Uh, my I, wife goes through a few. I make up, <laughs> I make up for James's... Uh, <laughs> We, we really only use them for, for fishing bobbers when we head to the fishing hole with the straw hat. Really? Yeah. You're taking your little girl down to the fishing hole? Not yet. Not yet. All right. Well, Soon. she'll learn someday. <laughs> There's All no right. fish in the creek <laughs> behind my house. It's too full of fertilizer. All right. Coming <laughs> up, one month after turning down Google's offer of $6 billion, Groupon is reportedly getting ready to go public. We'll see how good that deal is for investors. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. <laughs> If you've got the money, I got the time. We Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. For investing commentary and analysis 24-7, go to the Motley Fool's website, fool.com. You can also check out our new daily podcast, Market Foolery. Every Monday through Thursday at 4 p.m., we'll give you our take on the big stories of the day. Market Foolery. Check it out on iTunes or online at marketfoolery.com. Chris Hill here in the studio with Seth Jason, James Early, and Ron Gross. All right, guys, some companies starting to report earnings. Let's start with Intel. 
Uh, 48% jump in fourth quarter profits. Ron Gross, how's the chip maker looking to you? Intel looks pretty strong here. Um, most of the demand was in their chip server business, uh, making up for the flat growth in the, in the PC market and also compensating for their delayed entry into the tablet market. Um, but they raised estimates. Gross margins analysts are focusing on um, for the first quarter look very strong. Um, emerging market growth um, they have high hopes for. So Intel looks to be uh, doing pretty well here. James, J.P. Morgan Chase saw earnings increase 47%. Is, is business that good for J.P. Morgan Chase? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is not too bad, but but they released $2 billion in loan loss reserves. And, and these are like cookie jar accounts that, that, that you can bolster, release, in, in good times or bad. So, so they just emptied a bunch of that. Some principal trading helped and some card fees helped. They lost a little bit on the net interest margin, which is sort of the normal way banks would make money, buying from, from one source and, and, and lending out to another source. Um, so it sounds decent, not quite as good as the headline looks. The question is, will they up their dividend? They will need Fed approval for that, so we don't know. Seth? I was reading through both of these earnings reports, and they both said something to me that's interesting about the broader economy. In the case of, of Intel, you saw good sales in the server division. That's that's all going to businesses, right? The consumer division sort of weak. And at J.P. Morgan, you saw uh, financial sort of the, the investment banking side and actually business banking uh, growing not as quickly as that. But, but uh, the retail side, in other words, Main Street, not doing so well. So we seem to be in a situation where businesses uh, may be bouncing back a little bit more more quickly than consumers, but the hope, of course, is that that eventually trickles down to us uh, hoi polloi eventually, but we're not seeing it yet, at least not from these two. Coinstar shares were down big on Friday after the vending machine operator missed on earnings and lowered guidance. Uh, Seth, do I need to start turning in my change more frequently? Well, the story <laughs> at Coinstar, uh, for those who, who don't know about it, it started out as just this place where you could dump your piles of coins into these kiosks and they would charge you what I always thought was an exorbitant fee to sort them for you and you get a coupon and, and get your cash. But the story with them now, the hot story is Redbox, which are these DVD rental kiosks. And they appear to have flubbed up Royal in the last <laughs> quarter with these because uh, they, they entered a deal where they didn't get the latest Hollywood movies for a month or so. Mm -hmm. And that meant that they had to do a better job of putting older stuff into the kiosks uh, in order to keep people renting. And they appear to have have screwed that up. Now, uh, they also said that they didn't do as well with Blu-ray as they thought they would. And so it all comes down, the stock dropped something like 25% on the news. Uh, and uh, it all comes down to, if you're an investor, do you think this is a one-time screw-up or does this mean a permanent impairment of the business going forward? I happen to think that this business, along with what Netflix is doing, is going to be really, really trouble uh, troublesome in the future on costs because Hollywood is waking up to what the content is worth and is going to start charging them all. If you've been cutting back on Transformers and My Little Ponies, you're not alone. On Friday, Hasbro said people bought fewer toys than the company had expected during the holiday season, and revenues will decline for Hasbro's fourth quarter and the year. Ron Gross, what did you make of the news? This was surprising to most. We actually owned uh, the stock in Million Dollar Portfolio and sold it um, maybe six months or so ago. Um, so we weren't that surprised. I think uh, estimates were a bit lofty. It'll be interesting to see if this carries over to other retailers relying on the crucial fourth quarter. Um, international remains pretty healthy. It was the U.S. that struggled here. 
Um, and they did reaffirm their 2011 guidance. We'll see if that has to be revised as they go forward. Stocks off as a result, which I would expect. Hey, don't blame me. I, I went through two Mr. Potato Head buys uh, this holiday season. Why two? So, well, my brother got one on sale, and we got another one for the for the baby. So we did our part for Hasbro. So your brother really likes playing with Mr. Potato Head? I love Mr. Potato Head, actually. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. They have so many brands, uh, so many different toys and games at Hasbro. Um, what do you think is like the most underrated brand that Hasbro has? I was I loved Risk when I was a kid, and my son has discovered it, and we've been playing it oh, together. Nice. Love that game. James? You know, I was going to say, well, they just got the rights to Sesame Street, which includes Elmo. I don't know if that's really underrated, but my son just goes bananas about that. So, Seth? I'm going to stick with my Mr. Potato Head. I, it's, it's, it's a cheap toy. It's a lot of fun. The baby just cannot put it down. I'm going to go with Clue. Because Clue, again, a classic board game, and uh, in my house we got the Harry Potter edition mm-hmm. of Clue. Oh, so, I didn't know yeah. there was such a thing. Oh, yeah, so great to introduce I have, my... I have never played Clue, actually. Oh, my. You want me to bring it in? I'll check it out. Do you, do you see Steve Broido jumping Steve right out? Steve, Steve Broido, what do you got Monopoly. for Monopoly, my man. Monopoly's where it's at. Monotony? Un- underrated? You think that's an underrated brand? I do. If you visited a casino anywhere in the, in the <laughs> last few years, there are a gazillion. Not that my dad listens to this podcast. Not that I go to casinos, but if I were to go to casinos, there are Monopoly games everywhere. Really? Huh. So you can pitch real money down the toilet playing Monopoly? Pretty much. But it's fun. <laughs> it's all for fun, right? That's why you're going to casinos? Absolutely. Just for the fun. And the free drinks. Groupon made headlines earlier in the week after announcing the company's raised almost a billion dollars in financing from several VC firms. On Friday, the Wall Street Journal reported Groupon is planning an IPO for this year, quote, sooner rather than later. James Early, you, you interested in a few shares of Groupon? I, I am not. I mean, it might be a short bump, but they are playing their cards pretty well right now. The founder has been cashing out in bits and pieces, and I think it's actually smart that Groupon has been buying these incipient foreign knockoffs before they get too big and, and, and cost more. But we've got everybody trying Groupon out now. So what I'm not sure about is what the sustainable level of the, the business is, and apparently because he's cashing out, neither is the CEO. Well, and, and you mentioned, uh, and, and this was part of the announcement uh, when they announced the financing, they, uh, the next day, Groupon acquired daily deal sites in India, Israel, South Africa. I mean, if, if you're a Groupon shareholder in the private markets or your VC firm, don't you want to see that? Don't you want to see them spending that money uh, allegedly wisely? Well, the whole point of raising money is, is hopefully because you need to. So when you're raising money to cash out as, a, as an owner, you're being, you're being awesome for yourself, but you're, you're, you're asking yourself, uh, or you're begging, not begging the question. You're raising the question at the company, well, what are these raises for? What would the IPO be for? Seems to me that the IPO might be, be mostly a cash out IPO for the early investors, venture investors, and others. The problem I always have w- with Groupon when I think about it is it does not seem like it has the scale, the scale potential that a regular uh, internet superstar has that we think of. In other words, they need a lot of boots on the ground selling these deals to people. And I really wonder if it could ever be as profitable as, as a company just like Facebook or Google. All right, James Early, Seth Jason, Ron Gross. We'll see you a little bit later on in the show. Coming up, we'll head to Detroit for a report on the big auto show, and we'll find out which automakers made the best impressions. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. With me in studio is Fool Analyst Jason Moser, fresh off his visit to the North American International Auto Show in Detroit. 
Jason, thanks for being here. How was the auto show? Yeah, hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Uh, so the auto show was was phenomenal, really, I thought. Uh, it, it impressed me, really, not only to see you know Detroit's big three uh, in Ford, GM, and Chrysler there, but just all of these companies from all around the globe under one roof and all of these cars and, and interesting ideas. It, it, was, it was a pretty overwhelming experience. Joining us on the line now is Tom Walsh, business columnist for the Detroit Free Press. Tom, thanks for being here. Happy to do it, Chris. Uh, so we want to talk about the auto industry in general in a moment. But first, uh, you were also at the auto show. You've been to a bunch of these. What were your impressions of this one? Well, this one's uh, definitely more upbeat than the last two have been. Uh, the, two years ago, it was downright scary. Uh, nobody knew whether these companies were going to survive or not. And last year, it was still they were pretty wobbly coming out of bankruptcy. Uh, so... Uh, now they're making money. GM's done the IPO and, and uh, paid a chunk of money back to the taxpayers. Uh, GM's profitable. Ford's profitable. Chrysler is, you know, about break-even, uh, operating profitable, and actually finally starting to show some new product, which they weren't for a while. So so the hometown uh, companies are looking a lot better. And, um, and, and as Jason mentioned, uh, the foreign automakers are here in force as well. Uh, a few of them had dropped out, and they're starting to kind of come back uh, one by one. Yeah, so Tom, you know, I, I was there. This is my first show again, and, and it was really, for me, pretty cool on every front. The one thing that really impressed me about this show uh, in all of the press conferences that I saw was it seemed to me that Ford's presentation was was just better than any of the others without a question. I mean, they, they all paled in comparison, really. And, and I wondering what was your impression there did, did you get that same sort of feel there well ford is really on a roll and they are just they really are all on message uh alan Mulally has uh the ceo has has that company focused like a laser on quality on a strategy that everybody understands and can can pair it back to you uh glibly and uh and and they're just they've done a remarkable job with uh with quality with with marketing with taking advantage of of the goodwill of the american people for not taking a bailout and um and they're still riding that train and uh and they're doing well they there's some question marks about ford uh because they've really reinvigorated the ford brand and they've increased market share but now uh they're really a, a big car company without a major luxury brand and now can they really rebuild Lincoln into a viable competitor to Audi, Mercedes, uh, Cadillac, Lexus and Lincoln's really not in that company yet. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're talking with Tom Walsh from the Detroit Free Press. Tom, what surprised you the most at the auto show this year? Um, I suppose it's a surprise that you know just how giddy almost people were uh, because you know Remember, General Motors lost $82 billion with a B dollars in three and a half years before the bankruptcy. And some of these years were excellent car sales years, 16, 17 million cars sold in the United States. Now, at a level 40% lower than that, GM is making a profit, Ford's making a profit. This is kind of a miracle. So there, there's a giddiness about it that, that in some ways is a little worrisome um, because you know, the car market is still not all that great, and there's still a lot of good competitors out there. Uh, I think the Detroit company's got a little break that 
Toyota stubbed their toe during the year, and uh, and it's gonna you know it's gonna be a tough it's gonna be a tough go going forward. I'm, I'm, you get a little worried that they're gonna fall back into bad habits. I was gonna say, how much of that giddiness do you think translates into a better future for Detroit? Well, I think I think it translates immediately into a feeling of kind of relief that the worst is over. Um, that okay, we are where we are. This industry is never going to employ the numbers of people that it that it used to in Michigan, Ohio, in the heartland. It's never uh, going to pay the kind of uh, salaries, uh, inflated salaries for all levels of workers, uh, salaries and benefits that it once did. So, so no, we're not going back to the old days. But there is definitely a sense of relief and that some stability has finally returned to the industry, and that. They can grow it from here and hopefully diversify the rest of the state's economy a little bit better. Uh, so, Tom, you know, we've had so much focus on Ford and GM here over the past couple of years. Uh, I wonder if I can get your opinion on what story out there that, that we're still missing. What, what are we not seeing in the headlines uh, today? Well, I think the most interesting story going forward may be Chrysler, um, because it's the one where we really, the outcome is far from certain. Uh, General Motors has... has uh, has been able to pull off the IPO and return to net profitability for several quarters, uh, and of course Ford is doing very well. Their stocks up a, up a ton. Um, so while anything can still happen, uh, they both seem to be on on a good arc or trajectory. Chrysler was so damaged during the bankruptcy; it, it very nearly did not get bailed out. It was like a four-four deadlock in the auto task force about whether to even bother, and. Um, and and so when they did with with Fiat's uh, sort of taking over and Sergio Marchionne taking over, um, what had, what had happened in the interim under Cerberus uh, after Daimler uh, dumped their interest in Chrysler was was that they had pretty much shut down product development altogether for a year or two almost, and uh, so their pipeline was pretty pretty sparse. And uh, they really didn't have any new product coming out. Now they're finally starting to get some. The new Grand Cherokee is out there doing well, and they've and they've really come up with about a dozen more either new or substantially refreshed products, where the interior is much better than the old one, and and things like that. Now, as uh, as Marchionne said the other day, uh, now it's up to him to sell the new products. Now that he's he's got them out of the out of the out of the uh, design studio. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're talking with Tom Walsh, business columnist from the Detroit Free Press. Tom, to what extent do you think GM is hurt by having accepted bailout money that has some referring to them as government motors? And conversely, to what extent do you think Ford is helped by not having taken a bailout? Um, there's no question that, that GM has been hurt as well as Chrysler. Um, I get email all the time by from people saying, I will never buy another General Motors car, blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't know how many people are out there really worrying about that. I think I think it, it plays in, in some markets. But uh, in GM's case, you know, they've been driving customers away for 35 years <laughs> for all kinds of reasons, um, from, from bad dealerships to look-alike products. Um, so I'm not so sure that taking the bailout uh, hurt them much more. But but clearly, uh, it didn't help. Um, in Ford's case, the fact that they they got through without taking it, it did them a tremendous amount of good, I think. And um, GM has kind of muddled through 
okay. They're selling just about as many cars, uh, maybe a few more with four brands uh, as they were with eight. Uh, now the market's crept back up a little bit, and that's helping them, and their market share has gone down a little bit. But they, they seem to be stabilized uh, in this country, and they're still doing quite well overseas, particularly China, Brazil. Jason and I were talking earlier, you talked about Ford and the Focus. Uh, we were talking earlier about how it seems like Ford just does a much better job of branding. That when it, when it comes to you know automakers, Ford is Ford, and General Motors is. It seems like there's an identity crisis there. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> well, you know, they're they're two very different animals, especially now. Um, Ford is a car brand, right? General Motors is a holding company with four car brands. It used to be eight. It's a little bit clearer now. Chevy's, you know, 70% of their business. Um, and there was actually some, some consideration, I think, given to changing the name of the company. But, um, but Chevy, Cadillac are, are legitimate brands. Buick exists primarily because of China. Um, but, it, but, they're, but they're adding to the lineup. Maybe they can, maybe they can save it. Um, so, they're, so they're kind of different. And, and to the extent that, that GM can, uh, can work the brands, Chevy and Cadillac and Buick, that's, that's where the focus is. You won't see any ads now. Watch, watch your Super Bowl ads. They're, GM's <laughs> going to be advertising in the Super Bowl. There's not going to be any of them that will mention GM. They'll, they'll mention Chevy or if there's a Buick ad. It'll, it'll, all of the advertising going forward will be on the brands because that's what they've done so well at Ford. Tom, one more question before we wrap up with buy, sell, or hold. Uh, one of the big auto stories of 2010 was the Toyota recalls. And here we are a year later, and frankly, I'm scratching my head as to whether those recalls were real, whether they were were meaningful. Um, What's your opinion on Toyota and the problems, real or alleged, that they were having with their cars last year? Yeah, I think it's a lot like, uh, you know, the Audi unintended acceleration experience of, what, 15, 20 years ago. Um, I think there's real questions about, you know, whether drivers driver error is part of it, but it, it, it's more the handling of it than, um, than, the, than the technical problem itself, to whatever degree it really was a technical problem. Um, and I think Toyota blew it on, on a lot of the handling problems. And I think I just think a lot of problems for Toyota came home to roost. The invincibility aura sort of went away, and then even when people said, "Okay, they're not really unsafe cars," but then they looked. But every but it gave people an excuse to look at the other brands out there and compare. Um, I've heard one analyst say Toyota used to be the default brand. In other words, if you didn't exactly know what car you were going to buy, well, you go into Toyota, Toyota dealership because they had. They had something in every category, and they were all pretty reliable, safe cars. So that was your default brand unless you had a particular desire. Now, the, the whole Toyota mess made people walk into other showrooms and say, well, I'll look at this, I'll look at that. And, and all of a sudden, they're thinking, gee, this is as good or better than a Toyota. You know, they're not a bad car company. They, they should, certainly should not be underestimated by the competition. But, uh, but meanwhile, around the world, especially in those emerging markets, uh, you know, I had somebody tell me the other day that uh, the, co- the competitor that keeps them awake at night is, is not Toyota anymore. It's, uh, it's Hyundai Kia. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're talking with Tom Walsh, business columnist for the Detroit Free Press. All right, Tom, time to wrap up with buy, sell, or hold. Let's start with it's a Porsche, and it's got four doors. Buy, sell, or hold the Panamera. 
Everybody loves it. Bye. <laughs> it's that simple? Yep. All sweetest right. four-door sweetest four-door I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This summer, the big three automakers will be negotiating new deals with the UAW, and this is one idea that might be on the table. Buy, sell, or hold worker compensation being tied to performance of the company. Buy. It's a great, great idea. Um, some form of gain sharing and how they work that out is the big deal. Buy, sell, or hold tinted windows. Um, sell. I'm, I've never liked them. <laughs> just, just me. <laughs> I don't think it's just you. All right, you've worked at the Detroit Free Press since 1982. Buy, sell, or hold the future of newspapers. Uh, boy, uh, hold and, and keep watching. I, the, the the ink on paper model uh, may not may not last. Uh, what we do as journalists, you know, write, edit, dig up stuff. There will always be a need for that. But whatever platform, who knows what it's going to be. And finally, this is something that some drivers truly dread, and there are cars that can do this for you now. Buy, sell, or hold Tom Walsh's parallel parking ability. Um, hold. <laughs> Again, city P- when you have to learn it, you learn it. I, I, well, I wouldn't trust a car, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tom Walsh, business columnist for the Detroit Free Press. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Thanks guys. All right, Jason Moser, uh, before I let you get away, how's your parallel parking ability? You know, I lived in Cairo, Egypt for three years, and uh, that's the most traffic-congested city on the, face of the, on the face of the earth, I think. And uh, there are no garages, so you pretty much have to find a place and make it happen. So I'm, I'm buying my, par- my parallel parking. <laughs> You've got some game then. I can do it. All right. Uh, you're an analyst on our stock advisor service. Um, when you look at the auto industry, what is one question that you have? going forward. Yeah, I I think that the companies have proven that they have the the technology and the vehicles that people want. So for me, it really is going to boil down to the dynamic between the companies and the UAW. All right, we'll be watching. Fool analyst Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Coming up, we'll dip into the Fool mailbag and we'll take a look at the stocks on our radar. This is Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill, and back in the studio with me are a trio of senior analysts, Seth Jason, James Early, and Ron Gross. Guys, we're going to do something we haven't done in a while. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. Let's go to our man, Steve Brodo. Steve, what do you got for us? Uh, Chris, thanks. I've got an uh, email from Andrew Finn. I'm a weekly listener to the podcast and really enjoy your insights. Can someone please look at Open? That's Open Table. Am I insane, or is this the most overvalued stock of all time? <laughs> How can it possibly justify a $160 PE and a $1.9 billion valuation? Cheers. Andrew, uh, uh, before we kick it over to the analyst, I- I'd just like to say there is the possibility that both are true, that it is overvalued and you are insane. We don't want to discount that possibility. <laughs> no. but uh, uh, Seth, uh, first, uh, Open Table, that's the that's the online restaurant reservation place? Yeah, I've been pronouncing it Open Table all, this, all, this, all these days. <laughs> you're, very, you're very cosmopolitan. Oh, they, they have applications for even, they were one of the first out with a Windows Phone 7 application where you can uh, look up reviews and just quickly make a reservation. They sell the reservation hardware software system to these restaurants and they charge them a monthly fee they charge them a per diner fee as well 
And the reason this stock is hot is because all things internet are, uh, are hot again, as well as they're, they're growing pretty quickly. Their revenues are leaping pretty quickly. Uh, they're trading at, at a huge, huge premium, uh, which presumes that they're going to continue to grow at these nosebleed rates. Um, I have my own problems with the system. One is that I find it easier actually on my phone just to just to use the services that are on there and make a call. It's actually faster than open table and easier. Uh, the other is that there's something of a backlash from restaurateurs. I, I've read a lot of this online and they don't really like open table because it's pretty expensive. So I'm wondering if there is not some kind of uh, open source alternative at some point in time. I think for as far as the stock is concerned, you don't worry about the valuation. You, you need to make the decision, is this the future of restaurant reservations in the U.S.? If you think so, you buy it. If you don't, you stay away. James? Yeah, it sounds like they'll spit on your food if it's costing them more money. But <laughs> have you, I mean, I don't eat at restaurants fancy enough to require reservations. So <laughs> why would you just call the restaurant? Is that? Well, it is quicker actually on, uh, depending on how, some people find open table easier. I, I put the app on my phone and, and I don't use it all. I know Ron uses it exclusively. I do. Yeah, I Ron. could say, uh, show me all restaurants that are have a reservation available at seven o'clock on Saturday. I get a list and then I can make a yeah. choice. It's nice. Um, international growth is a big story here. If they don't expand significantly, um, overseas and the stock is overvalued. Uh, we should mention in all fairness that this is a, a recommendation at a rule breaker service um, and they love companies like this that appear overvalued to folks like us um, but if you believe in the story and the growth then it's a fine company to own. And and keep in mind that as far as international goes they already pulled out uh, according to what I read in the 10k of Spain and uh, France because it didn't work so this concept doesn't go everywhere. Okay, Andrew, thanks for your question. As always, you can drop us an email, radio at fool.com. In the couple of minutes we have left, let's get to the stocks on our radar. Ron Gross, I'll start with you. We've been looking at LabCorp, uh, ticker symbol LH. It's a lab testing services. Uh, they have 38 primary labs, 1,500 patient service centers. There's an interesting demographic play here as the aging population you know, increases and uh, require more uh, tests. Uh, they're the dominant force in the space along with Quest. Uh, we're not sure it's cheap here. We're digging in a little deeper, so this is not a, a recommendation, but it's something that looks interesting to us. James? Chris, Duke Energy is a former income investor recommendation. It's, it's a big North Carolina electric utility. It just announced that it's buying another North Carolina utility called Progress Energy. And the idea, PGN is the ticker, uh, the idea is lower capital costs. These utilities are coal-based, so lower costs will help offset the future EPA regulations because cap-and-trade recently failed in Congress, meaning the EPA now regulates uh, pollution under the Clean Air Act. So the question is whether Duke paid too much. It's definitely good for Progress, though. It's a big step up for this little company. You like company. You like a nice utility, don't you? I, d I do love my <laughs> utilities, Chris. Seth Jason. I had a different idea, but I'm going to see Ron on his lab corp and raise him a bioreference laboratory, uh, which is a yes. small, oh, small, small pick in the space, the same space. BRLI is the ticker. We have it at Hidden Gems where we own it. Again, has never looked cheap, but has for years been taking market share from, from the likes of Quest and LabCorp, which it shouldn't be able to do. It's run by a, a doctor and researcher who seems to have his finger on the pulse uh, of what doctors need. Uh, they develop a lot of new, higher uh, priced tests for uh, various diseases and other conditions, and they do a great job of selling those. And that is the one that I think I would look at. All right, Seth Jason, James Early, Ron Gross. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. Welcome. Thanks to our special guest this week, Tom Walsh from the Detroit Free Press. Our engineers are Steve Roido and Gail Anya Nuevo. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.